Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In today's episode, we're speaking with Sarah Goodman. She's the founder and CEO of Chiwis, a natural snack food company based in the mountain town of Squamish, British Columbia. Chiwis started out with a single product, just kiwi chips, but they're now tapping into some huge potential. In the two short years that Sarah's been growing this company, she's been able to get the product into over a thousand stores and she's actively working into the U.S. markets. Now, I think everyone from new entrepreneurs to seasoned investors will get a great sense of how to build a business here or how one can come together. Sarah's entrepreneurial background in technology has informed how she's building Chiwis, and it's a fascinating combination. Along with building the brand, Sarah talks about how she's approached financing. She also talks about how she's very intentionally brought a select group of advisors together to help her grow. One of those advisors is Praveen Varshney, who's connected Sarah and I for this interview, so thank you to him. If you're interested in the potential of consumer packaged goods and how to build a brand and really how to finance it, then this episode is for you. Also, be sure to check out our previous episodes with Praveen, number 11 and number 33. Now, enjoy the show. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation as one, it came through a great referral being Praveen, Praveen Varshney, and two, because you've got a lot of experience in building brands and, and now you're onto something with an interesting niche and segment of the market and I just think there's a lot of things to dig into here about building small business and, and what it takes to finance them. So I think the best place to start is if you can give us a background on yourself and then we'll build from there. So I'll hand it over to you. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I went to school for a bunch of different things. Every time I got out of school, I didn't go apply for jobs. I started a company in that industry. This is company number four, Chiwi. So I'm the founder and CEO of Chiwi's and we make 100% natural fruit chips using upcycled fruits, using the skin, corn rind to decrease food waste and create something that's nutritious and delicious and looks great on shelf and moves. But before this, I was also a nutritionist and that's why I love healthy snacks so much. But for seven years before starting Chiwi's, I had co-founded and ran a tech company, a consumer health tech company, which is actually how I met Praveen initially. With that company, we had a consumer device and app, and I built everything around the product, branding, UX, all of that. Other than our patents and coding, I kind of led to create a product that was quite science-based, but it was consumer. So making something that people could understand and digest easily. Everything I did in that company allowed me to create Chewies. A few less roadblocks, not without, but I started thinking 
about what I was going to do after seven years of being in tech. I just, I was the face of this company. I was pitching all the time. I'd fundraise. Being a woman fundraising in tech was not a fun thing to do. And I just needed to do something else. And I knew that I was going to, I wasn't going to go find a job work for someone. I needed to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was like, maybe I could make a brand out of this favorite snack that I've been making forever, which were kiwi chips. Whenever I made them, I would take like we're in Squamish, very stereotypical Squamish people were hiking, we're in the backcountry, we're camping a lot. And I would make them just for myself because I liked them. They were super nutritious. They're very sweet and tangy. And whenever I brought the kiwi chips out, people would just say, these are so different. I've never seen anything like it. I would buy them. Didn't think anything of it. I was running a tech company. I was just like, whatever. Okay, sure, whatever. And then at the end, like after seven years in tech, I was like, well, maybe I could do this. I love making brands. I've never worked in food. And so I took about eight months on evenings and weekends to dive into learning about the food industry from the entrepreneurial side point to the distribution, the retailer, how it all works, talked with people and consulted people about margins, tried to learn everything I could before diving in. So it wasn't just like, I'm leaving and I'm going to start this thing. And so I ended up deciding I was after doing a lot of research that I was going to just leave tech and dive into food with Chiwis. That's how it all began. I'm so stoked. I think we're going to have a great conversation. Like as you're walking <laughs> through this, I'm just like, oh yes, question, question, question. And so- I did talk for a while, sorry. No, it's all good. <laughs> In no particular order, and maybe we'll come to them. I just want to put some bookmarks on them. One about being a woman and, and financing and what that was like for you. I want to come back to that. I want to talk about brand building and even like the UI, the user experience- in a physical good, there's something there. And then your point about the research and you know the evenings and weekends kind of thing. Let's do this. Can you give us some figures to give us some scale, some quantity to where Chewies is at now, whatever you want to share. But then let's bring it back to those evenings and weekends to frame up the story of how you've gotten here. Yeah. So, you know, Chewies is fairly new. We're going to be celebrating our second birthday, early February of this year. So I launched Chiwis onto store shelves February of 2021 as a team of one, me. And until seven months ago, it was just me. We're now a team of seven. Just got our seventh last Monday. This Monday. This Monday. But for probably a year before launching onto store shelves, I was doing that research. I incorporated my company. I just was doing trial and error. And there's lots to go into about the starting of it and how I did that. And I pivoted. And so we can talk about that. But to give a bit more context, so in 2021, just myself, no sales roles or anything, did 125000 in revenue. And, you know, Chewies has always been during COVID. There's never not been COVID when this company has been out there. Often when you're a food brand, you're out sampling and going to trade shows, and that's how you get trial and these kinds of things. I didn't have that. So 125000 in BC. And then this year, had six months of staff. We have a facility where we're packaging no sales again. And we grew 3.64x. So we did 440,000 this past year. And then this year, we're hoping to do 2 million. So I do bring quite a tech growth mindset to this. The branding has to do with that too. When I was doing that research and talking to people in food and how they started and people who were, you know, a few years ahead of me, they were like, Oh, don't worry about the bag. Just put it in whatever you'll figure it out. And I was just like, no, no chance that's happening. I'm going to create a brand that looks like it's from a huge company, even though it's just me and that people gravitate to on shelf. Cause this is not going to be, it's not going in a craft bag. It's not going to be like, Oh, cool. Look at these homemade goods. No, this is going to look like it's a venture backed company, even if it's not. 
And the branding you see now is what we launched with. Like there was no, I'd say skimping, but even like I have a tech mindset and growth mindset, but I also have a very lean mindset. And I know how much things cost. And it's funny, we can talk about this too. And sorry, I'm going over the place, but when growing a company, you can get sold a lot of services and things that are just absolutely insanely expensive. And so, for example, I was pitched, you know, $25,000 to do branding and packaging, you know, all of my bags together. I worked with a graphic designer in Squamish here, five grand, you know, website build, uh, 150,000, you know, all the, no, like 8K. There's ways to get to be lean and to get things done well, instead of just saying, oh, well, they've sold me this thing and I'm going to just grab it because I trust them. I appreciate how, how transparent you are with just putting the numbers out there because it. it oh, always. You know, yeah. Yeah, give somebody really something to uh, you know to wrap their mind around and, and the potential of what's out there. And I just want to like give an example. Praveen mentioned that he came on as an investor and as a mentor and advisor to you, and and then he sent me a promo code and said, you know, buy a box. Let me know the experience. So I did. The box arrives, five bags, the sample box. I put them all back in a day and a half myself. <laughs> nice. And so. I really enjoyed them. I enjoyed everything around that. And it's really methodical. So I, I can see the connection to the tech background there because user experience is such a you know powerful thing. But coming back to initially starting, you said you pivoted. You said you did a lot of research. What was that research like? And what was the first sale like for you? The beginning of the research was competitive analysis. Okay, so I love this Kiwi chip product. Are they out there? Does that exist? Like, who would I be competing against? How much do they sell those for? They weren't out there. And then talking to people in the food business. So I, I spoke with this woman named Andrea Gray Grant from a company called Good to Grow. So she's a consultant and works with lots of food brands. And I, I hired her for three hours of her time. And I made a Google Doc with like 100 questions. I came to her and she was just like, holy, <laughs> like these people don't usually have this many questions for me. And we went through everything, the margins, exact margins that are needed when you're going into, say, grocery, like there's a specific set. Who are you giving margin to? Because if you just went out there, say a lot of people go to a farmer's market, that's how they'll start, which I was 100% not doing. Not even, a, I want my weekends and I'm not doing it. I'm going to grocery. But usually when you're going into grocery, you would have, you know, your cost, like your COGS. You always want to have 40% on top of that, like, or you probably won't survive. So that was the first thing. And then the distributor is going to take 25%. If you have a broker, they're going to take 5%. And then the retailer is going to want 35 to 40%. So building all those in and like, how much will it cost you to make your product? So I had to figure all that out before because I wasn't going to just go and dive in and then waste all this time on a product that we'd make no money on. I just think that's such a powerful approach is like, you know, I agree like the you know, let's start at the farmer's market and doing these kind of things. And I mean, there's something that's that's kind of wholesome about that. But the reality is, is to take that jump from there and then into grocery shelves is that's not going to get you into six digits of revenue anytime soon, or it's really probably a difficult leap. I also think that with farmer's markets, they're super valuable if you have a product that's new and needs explanation. Say like if you were the first kombucha company in the world, nobody knows what it is. Or we have a really great water kefir company here called Squamish Water Kefir. No one knew what that was. It's like, it's another kind of bacterial growth, like kind of kombucha style. But with that kind of thing, if someone sees it on shelf, they don't even know what that word is. So of course, you're going to be trying to get more education out there. For me, okay, this is, it's a pretty simple product to get. It says on the back, like, 
quinoa chips, mango chips, kiwi chips. It's in your face. There was another big thing that I'll talk about with the consulting with Andrea is I had done a 99 designs competition, you know, that company online, you can, so I had to do a bag. And because what I did part of my, my research and competitive analysis and consumer testing was I got this bag designed for this competition for $99 and 99 designs. I got a hundred of them printed in China. And then I thought they were like so amazing. I thought they were the coolest bags ever. And what I did was i made the kiwi chips at home. I put them in these bags, heat sealed them. And I would take them on hikes and stuff and tell friends that I bought them at Whole Foods and see what they thought. Because if they're just going to try something that's like, I made this, they'll always say nice things to you. And so I lied to all of them. And I thought this bag was just so cool. And Andrea from Good to Grow was like, take that bag, go to the grocery store and put it on the shelf beside where you think you would be and like your competitors, wherever, take a bunch of pictures and you're going to see exactly what's wrong with it. And so I did that. And I was just like, this bag sucks. It's so bad. And then I had people try, like I would send the bags to people and have them film their kids and husbands or partners looking at the bag and opening it. And it said kiwi chips on the front, huge. And people would open it and be like, oh my God, it's kiwis. I was like, what? So you need pictures on the bag of the product, like all of these things. And so that was a lot of really good research too. And all of these things kind of compounding got me to the point where I felt like we redid the design of the bag. And I did a course that was, I think, called the How to Get Your Product on Retail Store Shelves. And this is tying into this first sale. And so I had learned from Andrea how this goes is when you're small and starting out, you get yourself into 75 to 100 stores yourself. And then you can go to a distributor and say, hey, I've proven myself a bit. Would you want to take us on? And because after that point, you know, 25% margin going to a distributor is a lot, but are you going to deliver all this product to all these different stores? What if it's changed all this? So went to this course and the owner and president of a natural food distribution company in BC was presenting at the end of it. And he sent his email at the end and I emailed him and I was like, Hey man, haven't even launched yet. I know how this goes. Going to launch soon. If I get into 75, 200 stores, do you think you could take us on? Also, this is the story. These are the bags. You know, I would love to just keep this open. And he responded really quickly. And he was like, Sarah, it's pretty obvious that you come from like tech and marketing. It's like nobody starts with a bag that looks like this. He didn't even try the product. He said, we'll just take you right now. So pre-launch, and that's not something that happens often. I I feel like there's been a lot of really good timing and luck with Chiwis as well. But with that, that was the first thing. Something came to mind there though. And I just want to bring this up is it ties into financing as well. And I think the the model, the playbook there still is applicable. If you're going to go and get these distribution relationships, oftentimes I'm sure people come and knock on their door and say, hey, will you take us? And they're like, you know, come back when you're bigger. And then they never hear from them again. So they just ignore them. But it sounded like what you did was, hey, this is what we're doing. If I do this, will you keep me? So you've now opened that relationship not with the immediate ask, but presenting yourself well and saying, if I do this, will you take me? Obviously, it was enough of a great presentation that the the guy was like, yes. But this thing is the same thing with financing. I was just about to say, it's the same thing. You just say, what do you think about this? Not, can I have some money? Like, Yeah, and you you build that relationship, right? Cool. Okay, please, please continue. Yeah, and so they took us on right away. So we launched onto store shelves with our scalable model, February, 2021. 
this is before that. This is right before COVID started. And so I rented this tiny corner of a kitchen in Squamish. I did a friends and family round of 25 grand at a $250,000 valuation pre-launch. And I got a couple commercial dehydrators and I set up the space and I got Vancouver Coastal Health approval. And I said to the distributor, okay, let's go. This is we're let's start really slow, like small independent stores. This is the first, you know, commercial runs, just me. And two days later, he called me. And this is another thing that doesn't happen a lot. And I feel very lucky. And he calls me and he goes, Hey, Whole Foods is in. And I was just like, Oh my God, yay. No. <laughs> you know, and so our first PO was for Whole Foods, which is what Whole Foods, British Columbia. So there's seven stores, which is wild. And so here I am. I'm spending 12 to 14 hours in this kitchen space. I'm slicing these kiwis by hand on a mandolin. I'm just like having my friends come help me. And I just kept thinking to myself as someone who is very business minded and growth minded, I was just like, this is a shitty business. Like what if Whole Foods Canada wanted a thousand cases? I wouldn't even be able to do it. This is such a stupid, like, why did I do this? This is never going to work. How would it? And so all of a sudden, and we had honestly been in the space, we have a couple POs that have come in and COVID starts and I use it fully to my advantage. I said, Hey, pandemic, you know what? Need to think for a sec. Whole Foods is like, yeah, pandemic distributors like, yeah, yeah. And I said, we need to pause for a sec. And I sold the dehydrators, cut the lease and spent five months finding co-manufacturers all over the world that could make the products better than I could and do them at scale and launch with a scalable model. And that's what I did. And that gave me the ability to focus on the business, which I'm good at. I'm not a facility worker and like be able to have an actual company that could grow quickly. And that's how we grew almost 4X. Like we wouldn't have been able to do that. To have a facility with the, the kind of equipment we would need to create the amount of products we need, we would need so many millions of dollars. So I have an advisory board, which I can talk about who's on it and why, because everybody has a specific reason. But over and over, I was told if somebody else has the ability and they have the facility and the staff and the safety certifications and all that, don't reinvent the wheel, use them. And so that's what I did. And I did that. And I, I honestly didn't even want to touch the product after that. And then we have to package everything in BC. So then we're a local product and we get into specific stores because of that as well, an easier entry to stores. And so we would have the product manufactured at these different manufacturing partners that we have brought into BC and packed and we used a co-packer in Vancouver. And they were charging us like insane amounts to like hand bomb product into a bag and seal it. And I realized, okay, this is something that we need to take in ourselves and we can lower our cost of goods and our labor by doing that. And so six months ago, I opened a facility in Squamish, just like five not even three minutes from my house. We have a semi-automatic packing machine. We have a team. We pack everything there. We have a research and development lab there. And we have an office like zone on a mezzanine upstairs for us all to hang out in when you know we need to. So that pivot, like it could have been a nice lifestyle business. That's not what I want. Full disclosure, I want to build this thing to get to like 50 million in revenue and I want to sell it. And then I want to do something else like that. I'm building a community and a brand and a voice. The product's amazing. I'll keep on building products and innovate, but that's the plan. Like I have other ideas too. And this one's super fun. I want 
my shareholders and my employees or I have an employee stock option program. I want everyone to learn a lot and then go on to do whatever the hell they want after start businesses with everything they've learned. I can see why Praveen chose to put a bet on you. Not a bet on you, but a bet. <laughs> I also had never stopped working and uh, <laughs> I, I have a goal and then I get it. And it's like, well, no, well, why isn't it this? Even last night, I went out for dinner with my husband and I had done a bit of a bridge round so that we could, we're going into the States soon. And so I opened up the round. I've done two. I did a friend's family. I've done two others. So I've raised just over a million dollars for Chibi. And one of my current investors was like, yeah, yeah, here, just take 100K. And I was like, okay. There was no celebration, no nothing. And last night I was like, I stopped. I need to celebrate that this is a thing. And it's like very good and exciting and helps Chibi's get to these like Costco and and yeah, going into this, like California, it's a big deal, but it, you get kind of normalized to things and that's not good. I have to continuously be like, holy shit, two years ago, there was nothing. Even thinking six, seven months ago, it was just me. And now I've got this team of people who are helping to make this company like even more amazing. It's still wild. I don't think it computes really. It's really interesting to see how it's come together. And I really appreciate how you've approached this and pivoted and really, you know, taken on this opportunity. It's, and I really do think your background in tech has got a lot of, you know, a lot of influence here. I want to ask about your experience in tech as a woman, and then also as in financing as a woman and why you say that was not an easy experience. Tell me about that. So the company was called Vital Signs. They're still around. I'm still on the board. They have a bunch of products that help people get healthier. They're great. I just couldn't talk about it anymore. Raising was so different than raising for Chiwis. One, because I was hardware and hardware is tough. Another, it wasn't a recurring revenue model. Right now, they do have that now. And raising just as a woman in tech sucked. There was a lot of like, oh, cute idea, girl, like type thing when we were making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was able to pitch it well and I was able to regurgitate the scientific information and everything. But people could probably tell that it wasn't my passion. I was good at pitching it, but it wasn't my passion. And for example, Praveen. I met with Praveen so many times. I remember sitting in his office. You know, I I just heard so, so many no's. And so when I started pitching for Chiwis, I was like, well, that's probably going to be like that. But I better just get myself ready. And I created a deck. All my decks I've created for free on Canva. You don't have to pay people to do that. (laughs) And I did it as a conversational thing and really, you know, I've made hundreds of decks in my life and I really made it just, no one got sent it before it was all on DocSend, And so they had to put their email address in and then I would, or I would screen share and it was just very image focused. I was so blunt about things. I was like, this is the product. This is why this is who I am. This is what I plan to do. If you like it, you like it, you don't, you don't. And honestly, we were in our last place. We shared a, a home office, my husband and I. And I would look over. People would just be like, okay. And I'd just be like, what is happening? Like, And honestly, Chiwis is a much easier sell. It's a consumable product. It's easy to understand. I had a bit of a story. I had experience, not in food, but people got it. And I could just send them product. They'd try it. And they'd be like, yeah, okay. And I also... A lot of people in the Vancouver area had a bit of FOMO from Smart Suites because Smart Suites went and got a $400 million huge investment from a private equity firm and their shareholders, you know, 
their last round they had raised was two million, and then they they got to a hundred million in revenue, and seventy percent of the company was bought for four hundred million. So three, I think three three fifty to four hundred US or something. And I think people were like, "Holy shit, CPG can be really, really good, a really good investment." And again, with the timing too, I start. I, my first round was like early COVID, and people were in their homes; they had nothing to do, and a lot of like people who had money were doing well. And I, you know, was able to pitch at that time. I raised the whole thing. I raised all of the money over a million dollars, basically in a hoodie and, for, and on Zoom. I didn't meet anyone face to face, not one person, not one person. And I know some of them, but not, not, a, I didn't have to like wine and dine. And again, back to like the, when I was doing the pivot and the R and D that timing too, like I didn't have to go fly to these manufacturers. We were just sending stuff back and forth and doing R and D and getting things through UPS. And, you know, we were getting all these snacks delivered and I was working with a bunch of different companies to find or not companies, manufacturers to find one that could make the product well, shared values. We use a lot of upcycled fruits. So like that was a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, that timing and being able to do things virtually was so helpful. But with the raising, like it, it was a, just a whole different story. And it could have been the passion behind it. It could have been the simplicity of the product. Like there's a lot of different things, but it's a fairly common theme that people, women in tech will be like, this is not great. They're getting 2% of funding. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. I think it's good to see that there's more attention and recognition for women in tech. You know, women-led funds or women fund or funds that are dedicated towards supporting women entrepreneurs. But it's definitely something that I want to bring it up. I want to hear more about it because there is there is an issue there that needs to be tackled. And so I appreciate it. And it's it's an interesting one though that the difference between tech to consumer product goods and all of a sudden it's just like bam, here it is. Perhaps it's the way you pitch, because if you're pitching me for investment, you're making it sound easy, which it puts a lot of confidence in somebody who's going to write a check for you. So that's pretty interesting. It's a sales pitch too. And it's funny now I have a lot of entrepreneurs coming to me and asking me about fundraising and I'm so happy to help anyone. I had a lot of help early on and I will pay it forward as much as I can, but it's a sales pitch and you have to believe in it you also have to know like i wasn't just like hey here you go like i knew my numbers i knew my plan i've been transparent from the beginning i'm always like this i'm like this with my team i'm like this with my investors they can ask me anything anytime but with a lot of these entrepreneurs i have to tell them like you have to sell it you can't just fiddle around you need to know exactly what you're trying to tell these people because they're putting the money in you not an easy thing and I, i might make it like sound easy but there was a lot of prep going into it even like those eight months of research development, the things that I've learned, and I've also done every role in Chewies. I know exactly like what goes into this and how we can grow it. So the pitch part was fun. It was fun and people got it. But yeah, it's not like it's not easy. <laughs> well, some of the things that I've heard you say, I think are important. Like one, going and sitting down with somebody who is a consultant who can answer things like, what are the margins you need in the CPG space? You know, a hundred lists of questions on a Google Doc, going through everyone and paying them for their three hours of their time, even if it was 500 bucks an hour. That is so powerful, such a great investment. Another thing you said, and this reminds me of a comment Rick Rule, who is one of our guests on the podcast, said he looks at boards of directors and companies he's potentially going to put money into. And he looks at those directors and goes, Why is that person there? And, you know, like they serve no benefit. They don't understand the geology that you have there. So why? And so, 
you mentioned an advisory board and every one of them has a reason there. So what I take from that is, and for an investor hearing that is a a level of sophistication. You've gone beyond just that first order of thinking, your second and third level thinking in to be able to communicate. And then from what I take from you, just really articulate that this is what it is. And I think that people who are interested in investing, they take a lot of confidence in hearing things like that. Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't know everything. There's people surrounding myself with a support system where it's people who have been in my shoes and have done exactly what I plan to do with Chewies. Like we meet every month at least. And I'm also on a text basis with all of my advisors. There's four of them. And I can at 1130 PM be like one of our competitors, they raised, I think $6 million to launch a chip line. And I was just like, oh, it's like Richard, holy shit. Like I'm freaking out. And he called me immediately. Like any time of day I can, but yeah, I'll tell you who they are because I think it's important. So Praveen is on my advisory board and he's my money guy. He's my finance guy. I ask him like, we talk about that realm among other things, but like he's mainly there for that. I basically wooed the other three. I wooed into being like friends with me. I didn't just say, can you be my advisor? I had to kind of work it for a long time. You can't just kind of ask people. So the second one is, her name is Cindy Bockich. She was the COO of Smart Suites, and she was also on the operations as an operations lead in Starbucks and Lululemon. She took Smart Suites from 100,000 in revenue a year to 100 million in revenue a year. And she's my operations, like also team, really good at helping me with team. Like we just worked on the bonus structure for my new sales hire, and we were like really laid that all out, thinking about in the future, the other people we're going to hire to get to that really high revenue, which we want to get to. And what does that look like? to be fair to them, and then bringing other people on. She's just amazing. The third one is Richard Pollack, and he was the founder of Emergency, like the vitamin C packs. And he sold it to Pfizer. So Pfizer bought it from him, and then he started NRC, which is the natural version. And then went to all his, their like, stores and was like, why would you have that? You want the natural one. And so now he's the founder, and he runs NRC. And then the one... And he's my like big picture, everything like guy. And then I have another one. Her name's Eve Laird and she's the CEO of Eve's Crackers. And so they've been around for probably five years and she did start a farmer's market. She started slow. They've gotten up to almost 2 million in revenue and it's just her. She's the only employee. She was just in my shoes a little bit ago. And so, for example, when we got into save on foods locations, like there's about 200 they were like, well, we want a free fill. We want a free case of every skew for every store. That really adds up. And I was like, Eve, oh my God. Can like, so you explain that? that? A free f- What's that mean? A free case of every flavor you have for every store as a launch. Oh, so they just pay, like, they're not going to pay. They're just like, give us. They'll usually order more than that, but they want that as like, either stores will have listing fees, like Loblaws. If you want to get into Loblaws, and they have, I think, 2,500 stores, but you might not even get into all of those. You pay $30,000 per flavor. Wow. So basically you're renting the space on their shelves to move your product. And you aren't even guaranteed all of those stores. We've never paid a listing fee yet. It'll probably happen at some point, but we have done the free fills. But when I went to Eve and I said, Save on wants all these free fills. Like, this is crazy. And she said, listen, just pitch them that they pay 50% of it. That's what we did. And then we did. And they said, yes. Like, so uh, things yes. like that. So cool. I see. Yeah. Okay. And And I go to her with just... Yeah, there's just so many things that are fresh in her mind that are different for these other advisors that have really gone huge. I'm not at her level yet, but we will, you know, she's also someone that when I was doing all that research on evenings and weekends, I loved her product already. 
And I went to her website on her contact form on the site, like the little thing in the bottom of the corner. And I was like, hi, I'm thinking of starting a food brand. Can I ask you some questions about packaging? And like, we started talking that way. I asked her to be on my advisory board probably like a year and a half later. And now she also lives in Squamish. She moved up here and we're friends. We hike a lot. We do a lot of our advisory meetings, like mountain biking and that kind of thing. Again, that wasn't just an immediate thing. She's, she helped me the way I'm hoping to help people now. And it the grew and built it and it was amazing. And so now we, we all have group meetings every month where I present small deck of just like what's been going on every month. There's so many things that happen. We, we used to do it every other month and they were like, this is not working. You have far too much going on. We need to do it every month so we can review stuff. And then I chat with each of them once a month solo. I like how you've kind of bucketed that out, right? From all the way up from your, your major big level, big picture thinking coming down to more of the operational, let's take it from here to there down to uh, not down, but like, you know, now, you know, providing that foundation of the money, And then your other advisor who she's a few steps ahead. She's been there. She can relate. And so that's whether that was all by design or just intuitively, it just happened for you. It's it's really, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. So good on you. Yeah, they're great. Honestly, having them like, instead of making reactive decisions, which could happen, I then could take a step back and ask them, what do you think about this? Let's chat about it take some time and handle things in a like responsible way, taking in the data we have and experience from others. If you were to consolidate the experience and the knowledge you have, and this is probably a big ask, but into to advice for those who are starting out for entrepreneurs who, you know, are in your position kind of two years ago kind of thing, what would you say for them right now? I think one thing that entrepreneurs run into a lot is like falling in love with their idea and kind of being tunnel vision about that. And you really just have to be comfortable with taking feedback from others who are more experienced from you about what you're doing. I think just, I say this all the time, like surrounding yourself with people who have been in your shoes is so important and being very open-minded. You know, if it's product focused, if you don't know other products out there or like that competitive analysis margins costing and you just have an idea and you're like it'll work you know that's super scary that's a very very scary place to be in and pitching and things like that a lot of the decks I've been reviewing lately you have to tell people how they're going to get their money back like what is your ask and what is your plan and what's your plan she's like it can't just be vague and what's your plan for growth broken down and what's your plan for the money that they're going to be giving you what's your use of funds like why would they want to mess with you how are they going to get back and a bunch of them are like, well, I'm just going to grow it. Like, well, that doesn't help any investor. You have to have a plan after that. If it's a lifestyle business, it's a lifestyle business, go get a loan. But if you want it to be something that's going to be like have a return, then you have to explain how that is going to happen. I think that I did that in a very clear, concise way. And that's why people were just like, okay, I get it. I think that's really good advice. I mean, I don't know there any other way to wrap it up and say that like just to the point and to keep that in mind as entrepreneurs, like if you're going to raise money and you know that that's the path you're going to go down, you need to be as concise as you've been there. And then also, you know, I've, I've talked with a few entrepreneurs and some who have asked about raising money. Some have asked about going public. And oftentimes I'm like, if it's going public, I'm like, you know, the odds are you should not ever consider that. 
And then, yeah, I, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely there's a time and a place, and there's some some very good companies that come out of the public markets or build on of it. But it's also a difficult path. But then also, to your point, are you building a lifestyle business? If you are, don't even consider going after money. Don't even think that the VC is is something that should be in your your vocabulary. Go find a loan. And so I appreciate where you're coming from there. Yeah, there's also other ways too to get money. Um, you know, there's lots of non-dilutive options out there and lots of grants and, you know, especially for female-owned businesses, for business, if, if you're going to export, uh, like can export, which we use, there's options out there. I think that people feel like, oh, well, no, I want to get investment money because, you know, there's no, it's no, not a risk to you really. But, you know, for even for me, like I put money in Shiwi's, like I'm not just relying on investors. Like that's not fair to me, but like our plan is this year to be cash flow positive. All of my managers' bonuses, like there's like three or four things that they have to hit for a full like quarterly bonus. But the first one, if we're not cash flow positive, it's not happening. Like that is the goal. We want to be in charge of our growth. We want to be able to, like, I do want to raise a series A. I want that to be our last round. I want to raise that when we get to like three, four million in revenue. But, you know, like let's get cash flow positive. Let's grow this at least 4X again. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody is so like dedicated to this goal and it's totally doable. You also have to really think about how you're going to do it. So I've raised on two safe documents and I've told, I've told every shareholder we're never going public. I've told every shareholder that that's, we're not doing any more safes. The next round is a cash round. Like a safe is a simple agreement for future equity. It's a Y combinator document. It's very easy to understand and, you know, there's a trigger point when these shares convert. So basically I've raised almost a million dollars. No one has shares yet. They convert when I raise a series A and it's a cash round. And my valuation caps for these two safes, the first one was 4 million and the second one was eight. I said to the investors, it's on me to get up past that revenue and not need more money. Because if I don't, you all get way more of my company. Because if I raise a cash round, then I'm going to be giving away more. So I don't want to do that. Do you mind expanding on that? Because it is a Y Combinator, as, as I understand, was kind of the one who pioneered that. And it's it's become kind of, it's almost just the go-to way to finance now for early stage ventures. But some people still haven't heard about it. Yeah, it's a popular document, financial document for tech companies. It's great for early stage companies because like you can go on to the Y Combinator website. There's one for Canada, one for the States. And, you know, you should get legal advice and have them look at it. It says on the document, like, you are not allowed to change anything in this document other than what's in, like, brackets or, like, a name or date, basically, of the investor. But you fill in this valuation cap. And so what that means is, say, so my last round was an $8 million valuation cap. So if I raise next at a cash round and I raise at a $15 million valuation, all of the shareholders that came in at that safe with an $8 million valuation, their shares convert to $8 million value and not the 15 million that's at the the cash round so there it's a discount basically for coming in early but when you stack them it gets dangerous and you really need to know okay so how many shares am i giving away or how much equity i was very careful with that because like right now with if all of those converted i would have 70 percent still and that gives enough to go to series a and i want to have you know it'd be great to finish with 60 and then I have the employee stock option plan and things like that. But there's other documents too, like uh, convertible notes. You could just raise on plain equity. But for us starting out, 
I raised, and this can also be the selling side. Like I raised at on a safe with a four million valuation cap, and we had like no revenue. It was all based on the initial traction and my goals and where I thought we could go. That was like we could get to a million within a couple of years, and that would make us past the four million valuation. And then for the last one I did, the way I sold it was the next one will be cash round, and we will get to three million quickly within the next two years. So. When talking about cap tables and future planning and looking out and saying, okay, if we hit a million in revenue, we'll we'll cross that four million. It's complex and, and you have to, you know, it's somewhat abstract to be thinking out into the future like this, but you've got a handle on it. How <laughs> if you aren't, that's a scary place to be as well. You need to be thinking about that. Oh yeah, this trouble. is this is a huge thing. And it's one thing I stress so often is that entrepreneurs can sign a death warrant to their company two years in the past or and not even realize they did it. And then they have to go raise money again and nobody's going to touch them because their cap table has gone to hell. And so you see a lot of companies do that. Some of which you're like, wow, they did that? You know, you thought they would have, you know, I would think they would have more smarts than, than having gone down that path. So I really emphasize it, but I find it interesting your discussion about it. And I'm curious to know how you wrapped your head around this and how you sit down and plan for this or how you planned for, for putting together your finance strategy. Oh my God, just so many spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Spreadsheets. <laughs> like yeah. evening, I'm like often on my laptop in the evening just working on projections and our cash flow documents, things like that. And honestly, I was so bad at math in school. I was such a shitty student in general. Like until I started really loving what I was studying, I just didn't couldn't give a shit about yeah, yeah. it. Well, the A's and B's work for the C's and D's, right? I just love it. Like, I love that. I love working. I also got really great. And I'm happy to share this too. This really great cash flow spreadsheet that I use with my whole team that is really, really amazing. So that's one that I just love playing with in different scenarios. But with the cap table and figuring out those that like, whatever we're giving away and the shares and the planning, even when like I was talking to one of the investors who just didn't know what a safe was. He was like, oh, no, I want a higher valuation cap. And I'm like, listen, man, that's not how it works. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. And I had to kind of really lay it out on the dilution side of things and how that would look when we got to that next round. And then how that would look if the goals we set for ourselves for whatever like an acquisition target would be and what they would get in the end. Because I really I want to make my investors 15x. I have a very good feeling you're going to do that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to switch gears a bit about, and I'm jumping around here, but about brand building and your ability to to start out and come out of the gate and start to build build that brand presence, build that community, build social awareness, all this kind of good stuff, because that's not easy and it's not cheap unless you find some some sweet little hacks. So how have you been able to build up your your presence? The product and the brand are all like, we, it's the same values. And I'm sure you can already tell by talking to me. So the product, it's just no bullshit. It's just like this, what you see is what you get. We're not going to lie to you about anything. This is a great product. And this is our tagline. So it's sweet, but not too sweet. And like, that is so in line with us. Like we're working super hard, but we're having tons of fun when we're doing it. And so for me, Creating the brand, so that same one, the woman I worked with in Squamish on our branding and packaging, we worked together on it. Actually, my husband came up with the name. I was like, mind. 
So he was like, kiwi chips, chiwis. And I took it. But when we started building out the package design and the brand, I did work with a company that's BC based called Crew Marketing. I didn't want chiwis to fall into this boring granola, like healthy mom category type thing. I wanted to be a fun, exciting brand. And so I had actually had, we worked together to come up with the tagline. But for me, it's been a lot of sharing, like the personal journey was has been really helpful. Having all of our content be kind of shaped around that bright, fun brand. I don't know if we've really, I'm trying to build the brand and I want it to be big, but it's not like we've been spending a ton of money on digital ads or things like that to get it out. A lot of that earned media and things, things like this, and just being able to share who we are and the why behind it. And one thing, so my new sales guy started on Monday. He's going to be going around, just like we were in over a thousand stores and he's going to be going around because I think a lot of these stores actually probably don't even really know that we are a local brand, that we are a certified women-owned brand. You know, it looks like a big brand. I haven't had the time to go around and talk to these people. And during COVID, that was frowned upon. They'd be like, why are you here? Stop. Like, there's a pandemic. Get out. I don't want to meet you. So I think there's a lot of that. I think it comes through in the package, too, hopefully. But I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. Like, people do get it. I think that our whole, like, team kind of exudes the mentality and the, like, I don't know. But, you know, we're only two years deep. So I don't know if we've done a cute, really great job at it or any job at it. When it comes to slogans, when it comes to and how it ties into the culture and how it communicates to the brand, it's really interesting to think about that stuff because it's, they're soft topics, if you will. They're not kind of, it's not the tangibles or, you know, the, as, as I say, like the physics of finance, you can't just move numbers just, right. It's these feeling of a brand and like something like sweet, but not too sweet it's kind of what I pick up from you. Like there's this fun side, but it's also like, Hey, we're, we're going big. And, and so it's kind of, it's catchy. And I, I don't know where, what else to say about it, but it, it's a feel kind of thing. And I think it sounds like it's, it's coming together. You know, we're almost near an hour here and I just, I want to wrap up. Is there any other final thoughts that you have? I mean, for where you're going, for the advice you have, for mistakes you've made, anything that you'd like to share before we, we sign off? I feel like all of the mistakes have like have taught valuable lessons. There's been a few that I've learned from, but it's gotten us to a place now where we're set up to be successful, like doing a lot more things ourselves, especially like innovation wise. That's really important to a lot of retailers and you can't really be stagnant. So we have a whole new product line that's in the works right now. We have a lot of, you know, things that are coming out and, uh, keeping on top of that and like, you know, keeping on top of the cash flow. That's such an important thing. And, you know, we don't want to go and raise a ton of money for a, l- a while. So, like, I don't know. I The bigger learnings would probably be around like specific things like your partners and co-manufacturers and things like that and, and making sure those are solid and, you know, contracts and, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, this one actually just popped to mind. What do you get stressed about? What things have, have caused you to lose sleep and what things just roll off your, your back, like water off a duck's back? <laughs> so Richard, one of my advisors, he was like, if you're not like so fucking scared every day, like you're not doing it right. And so I get anxious about a lot of different aspects and, you know, doing all of it myself until just recently, I'm trying really hard to, to just like 
delegate and trust, I have these huge goals. So I'm always thinking about them. And in the end, like none of it, like, of course, it's very, very important that we get there. But I'm the hardest on myself. I'm so lucky that my investors are so hands off. They're so amazing. I update them like at least every quarter, but they're like, great, great job. And I'm like, no, it has to be bigger and better. So I'm always thinking about that. And it's just me putting pressure on myself. It's probably unnecessary, but you know, that's how you get to where I want to go, I guess. Can't just be stagnant, but I really wanted to build Chiwis because in tech, I definitely burnt out. And so I know what that feels like. And so I've, you know, promised to myself that I will take the time to go up to Whistler to go snowboarding. I will like take breaks and have like, you know, mountain biking or hiking, whatever. It's kind of like walking, whatever meditation for me to be able to clear that out and not be fully focused because it can consume you when you're doing a high growth type thing. And especially there is a lot of amazing things going on. People are, people see uh, information about us all the time. And so you get these dopamine hits <laughs> like oh yay people like me oh yay like we got this somebody oh like the store came on and to be I think the most important thing for me with this is to really enjoy it trying to step back and take in all these amazing things that are happening and not just have them come in and be like okay on to the next right yeah take the time to celebrate it's still hard I have to remind myself to do it all the time that's the quote of, of Richard there I think that was Mario Andretti it's like, if you don't feel out of control, uh, you know, famous race car driver, if you don't feel out of control, you're not going fast enough. And, <laughs> and so I mean, I'm going fast enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> what I certainly want to do is get all your links into the show notes for everyone. If you have that spreadsheet, please share it with me. And then what is it? Chewies.ca, Chewies.com. What's the, the website? It's Chewies.co. All of our socials are Chewies underscore snap. And, and then if you wanted, like we can give a discount code to you guys for the, for anyone who's listening, because we do free shipping to the States and Canada online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, that we'll that, that code is there. just, the code is all caps. Chewies love. Chewies love. Yeah. Just be careful because they go back quick. <laughs> yeah, you can get I, a 24 pack. <laughs> <laughs> we also sell bulk bags for people who don't want to, for people who want to be more package free. So we, we sell one pound bulk bags. And great for like lunches and stuff for kids and yeah, you just right. love the snack. Okay. Yeah. Well, Sarah, this has been this has been really awesome. Congratulations on the continued success and, and I'm really glad that Praveen put us together. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.